Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here in New York, with one of his generation's great centers, the Toronto Raptors, Marcus Saul, who just completed one of the most eventful years of his career, winning a championship in Toronto after a deadline deal sent him from Memphis, where he had been for over a decade with Mike Connolly, Tony Allen, the grit and grind, and a feeble World Cup championship with the Spanish national team, one of the great international runs of this past generation, the Gasol brothers. And we talk about his brother, Pau, team basketball in the NBA, being a part of something, how difficult it was for him to leave Mike Connolly in Memphis, leave that fan base where he literally grew up from a high school player to a pro. And now his time in Toronto post Kawhi Leonard, always a fascinating conversation with one of the most thoughtful players in all of basketball. Here's my visit with Marcus Saul. Here with Marcus Saul in New York at the tail end of NBA preseason. Uh, Mark, how are you? I'm good. So, Mark, last spring, I don't know if you remember this, you had been traded to Toronto maybe a few weeks earlier. The Bucks were in town. Mm-hmm. I think they had stayed an extra day or two in New York. The Raptors were coming into town to play. I was in the lobby of what it isn't the hotel we're at, but I was in the lobby with your president, GM, Masayo Jerry, and you and Pow come wandering down together, and neither knew the other. <laughs> right. Was, tell me that story. That's 100% true. That's, that's how it happened. Like, Obviously, first time for me being traded to a different team. You're trying to still, you know, learning the ropes and and kind of like understanding um, the routines the team have and uh, and and whatnot. And uh, I'm not very good at keeping up um, with you know other teams' schedules. <laughs> so and Pau knows that. <laughs> so uh, you know he obviously um, got bought out, I think, by uh, by his previous team in the Spurs. Yeah. So uh, you know he was in a different team, yeah, let alone. So we both in New York. He's you know he's not playing, so I'm not following him. And all of a sudden like, he tells me like I'm, we're talking at. Um, through the phone by text, and uh, I'm like, "So where are you at?" I say, oh, I'm, "I'm in New York." I say, "No, bleep, uh, I'm, uh, me too." I'm like, "No, you're kidding." <laughs> what hotel? I said, "This." I said, me too. I said, "No, come on." <laughs> What's your floor? I said, 17 I'm like, "Oh, I'm 14 Just come on up." <laughs> so you know, it's, 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 uh, I'm like, "Yeah, it was it was awesome." We ended up, you know, having a great dinner that night. We went for breakfast the next morning. But yeah, who, who would have who thought? It's just unreal. <laughs> it was funny. You guys, I think you told some of that story in the lobby on your way out. The appreciation, it was when you two started in the league together and you get traded for each other, you had been drafted by the Lakers and you get traded for Pau. He and I talked about that in uh, Milwaukee earlier this summer about when he was trying to process that day. Wait, I've been traded and I got traded for my brother and he's trying to. And then it was, you, you know, he played against each other. In a regular season game, you played against each other in an all-star game. Yeah. And now you're, uh, you know, much further along in your career. Pow's, you know, closer to the end maybe than you are. The appreciation you have, like, when you can go spend a night with him in a city when you just didn't imagine it. What, what is that like now for you two? You realize how fortunate you are to, you know, and, and, and what a, in, in the crazy life that the NBA is and, uh, and how unstable to find your brother in the same 
hotel uh, within all the craziness of, of the NBA schedules and two different teams. Um, it gives you comfort. And, uh, you know, we are very close family. We, um, very close to one another. Um, we don't come from a huge family either. Like we, we come from a small family. We have two cousins, uh, you know, an aunt, an uncle. Um, we, we're still very lucky to have our grandparents, three of them still alive. Um, so we are very, you know, close family, even though, you know, we live in the other side of the world, we still a very close family. So it's, you just feel very lucky. At 34 years old, Mark, what do you find yourself valuing more about this life in the NBA than maybe you did at 24 years old? What 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 is more important to you now than maybe it was then? <sighs> a lot of things, a lot of things. You know, I think at, at 24 you just don't don't see the whole picture, and you don't you don't you don't have the same perspective, the view angle. It's much more narrow now. You know, as you get older, um, you you see the impact that you have in other people and uh, how many people follow the game. I think when you're younger. Your narrow vision is just um, looking into, you know, what the the you, you're very short-sighted. Uh, I think now as you get older, um, you understand more how everything works. It's not about you anymore. Uh, at least, you know, once you have kids, also life becomes or your life becomes kind of secondary or or even farther down. Um, so it's it's just it's just different. It's just different uh, now than it was at 24. You're more mature. Um, things do not affect you the same way. It's not everything is not as personal as you felt, you know, back then. You're not the center. You you realize you're not the center of of any universe. You think about the year you had, and when you started that season in Memphis, and you guys got off to a pretty good start, yeah, yeah. and you might not have imagined that the team would get. Well, you, you would move on and then, uh, obviously Mike goes at the end of the season and you go to Toronto and to think like, I'm going to win a championship in Toronto and oh, there is a championship left for the Spanish national team that maybe I didn't imagine we had one left right. in us. What has that whole past year meant? Um, at first, like, it was hard to be Memphis. It was very hard for me. I, I was not, you know, excited about it at all. Um, you know, uh, the thought of it, you know, because it was like, I think, 10 days, two weeks process. Once they, you know, made the, their mind, when Robert made their mind about moving on from me and Mike and, and kind of like opening um, scenarios uh, to trade us, I was not excited about it. I was, you know, kind of like, no, I, you know, I was hard-headed and I thought, I, you know, I could, I was stubborn. I thought I could, you know, fix it and turn it around somehow and, and you know thing, things you know are cycled and you and you gotta let it go so at first i fought it um but then you know right away as soon as you know that call with Masai happened and he said championship that's the goal and uh, and and i realized the roster that i was going to play with uh, everything changed you know it's just that that tension that um goal that um that i don't know changed everything in my mind what was it about you and mike Connolly? that kept thinking, we want to do it here. You, you look around the NBA, and that is not a mindset. Mm-hmm. When things start to fall apart around you, when the when your supporting cast isn't there, when there's constant turnover in coaching, all the things that go into franchises kind of descending, mm-hmm. guys say, I want out of here. Why were you and Mike Conley so different? I think, you know, Memphis – you know, kind of made who we, who we were. I mean, uh, I went to high school there, obviously, and, uh, you know, from being a, a very young, you know, guy, 16 years old to 
you know, being a father, um, at 34 and there, it's, it just, you know, it's a lot of years in between and uh, most of them, you know, were, were great and we had great memories and, uh, and we, we felt, um, responsible for the franchise and, uh, and we always wanted to take care of it. And, uh, you know, so we kind of felt like caretakers probably of the franchise and, and responsible for it. And we wanted to turn it around, you know, even in, if that man sacrificing, you know, our own personal goals, um, outside the, the team. Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. It is a Swiss watch brand with a broad range of high quality watches, all at attractive prices. They bring performance and style to the game by offering painstakingly accurate timekeeping and stylish and authentic watches. Tissot prides itself on the precision and style of its classic sport and contemporary collections while committing to make excellence accessible to everyone. They offer a great variety from touch watches to sport to classic and trendy. Each one of Tissot's timepieces delivers quality performance and traditional luxury. Shop the latest timepieces at us.tissotshop.com. That's us.tissotshop.com and jewelry stores nationwide. And follow the hashtag, this is your time, and tissot.us on Facebook and Instagram for more information about Tissot. Mike Connolly and I talked about this at Summer League and right after his trade. And he had said that you and he, when you came into the league, you you emulated the Spurs. You looked at the Spurs and said, that's how it's supposed to be. Duncan, Manu, Tony Parker, you stay together. You win with this group that you love and you've built with. Those guys were your role models. Yeah. And now there's a generation of players in the league, they don't have those role models. The model for star players has been now shorter contracts mm-hmm. or under contract, but I want out and move. Mm-hmm. That, that you guys really came from a different, you were much more influenced by that era of the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I was, you know, I was always um, very, you know, oriented towards that type of a, team mindset too like in in europe that's how it works you know but it's a two-way street also and and i think you know you know not only as a player you put everything on the line the team you you know you got to feel like the team has your back as well and 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 that's not only see you as an asset um you know we all understand where we are playing and and the things are on on stake um but i think the the spurs at least the feeling that i had it's especially with those guys it made it feel like home for them, and it, they took care of them all the time, and, it, and they always put the team in front of themselves. And uh, once you get a player to understand that uh, there's the bigger goal and bigger reason, and the team is bigger than than him, and, and he doesn't control the team, I think that always always helps. When Memphis made it known that they were going to not just listen to trades mm-hmm. for you and Mike, but but pursue them. When you and Mike would talk about it, was your hope between you two, they trade us both or we both stay, that the worst scenario would be one would go and one would stay? Did you think that? Talk about it? Um, yeah, but but we knew it was yeah. coming to an end anyways. Uh, yeah. So even Mike knew that if he stayed a couple more months, yeah. um, 
you know, it, it was going to be tough. We talked, you know, throughout that March and, and April, and then obviously May and June, uh, we, we, we kept talking and he was so happy and, and he was just asking me, how, how does it feel to play for another team? And, you know, how, how, how does it feel? I'm like, so weird. Like, uh, I actually sit on the same seat on the plane that I had in Memphis. Is the, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's just, and I always had Mike next to me <laughs> for 11 years. So it was just weird, like, to look, like, oh, well, he's not here. <laughs> yeah. And on the bus, obviously the seat, the seat is different than I had in Memphis, but, you know, I always had Mike behind me and, and, you know, and, and I always like, you know, lay, lean back kind of and, and talk about the game, if everything went good or bad or he, you know, would change something or not. So he, he was just always my, my, my guy that, uh, that I always found trust and comfort and, and somebody that, you know, is, it'll be a friend for, for life. You play a decade with him, decade plus with Mike, and you imagine you guys go through some incredible playoff battles. You're doing it in the West where it's just every series is a war, and it is an accomplishment to get to a conference semi, to get to a conference final. You know, you were up on the Warriors in a championship. I don't – and that whole Warriors run, I don't know how many times, except for maybe – well, once at Durant, but prior to that – you know, they weren't down 2-1 the way you guys had them down. And I imagine you thought about what it would be like to win and what it would mean. Then you go to a place where you play 26 regular season games, yeah. you play 24 playoff games, and now you're standing on the podium. Unreal. <laughs> Unreal. Unreal. Uh, you know, it's the feeling that you have, the fulfillment that you feel at that time, I, I was not... I could not process, comprehend. I was so, you so deep in the rabbit hole through the playoffs. You, you so the abs, the downs, the how hard it is to, um, you know, beat a team four times and then beat another team for, and do it, you know, in four, four different series. You know, you gain so much respect for the, you know, first for the opponent. Uh, first you go and like Golden State had been in the finals. I don't know how many times, four or five times in a row that uh, past summer. Then you look at other teams like LeBron and like how many, you know, he went to eight times, I think, to the finals in a row. I'm like, that's, that's insane. It takes a lot out of you. It teaches you a lot too about yourself, about your teammates, about everything. So it, it just immediately you like feel a, I don't know, I don't know what, what the word would be that you feel, but it's an instant uh, feel of satisfaction and, uh, and, and a real good emotion that comes out of you. Also, uh, you're drained. I was emotionally and physically drained after that uh, final. I was, I was, I, I told Sergio Scariola, I said, I don't know when you want us to start training camp, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm at the breaking point, so uh, we'll see how it goes. When you say, you know, Masai calls you and, and you get traded to him and that organization, they hoped you were the final piece to winning a championship. And, and like you said, you, the emotion of looking around, Mike's not there. And then you start to get into it with that team. And I had always heard from people that it galvanized that locker room when you came in, that there was a lot of the, you know, you've got, it's natural in the NBA for guys to, they hear the talk about Kawhi. Is he staying? Is he going? Who knows? He had just gotten there. But it's sort of, the sense that I had gotten from talking to guys around the organization was once you arrived, everyone just sort of said, stop, don't worry about where Kawhi is next year. Don't worry, you could have opted out and gone somewhere else. We have this chance here, and can we, like, 
let, let's do this. And, mm-hmm. and did, did you feel that when you walked yeah, in? Completely. Obviously, not, not the part before. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, you know, get that energy. And, and, and it's, seasons are long too. Like, you know, you go through ups and downs and it's how you react to those downs um, that it's important. So I think once I got there, there was no, all the talking about it was just about the team coming together was about us you know being the best team that we could be and and how to play with one another as fast as possible and and you know kind of define the roles um coach um gives us a lot of freedom uh, offensively but defensively he has very high standards on what you need to do um so i think you know being organized and uh, and being able to kind of like i'm, I'm a no excuse kind of guy i, I take everything in and like hey, i'm if I mess up, I raise my hand. I, it's my fault. I, I don't mind ever voicing, vo- voicing that. So go play. Let's play. Let's let's be the best team. And and, and I don't think anybody worry about anything else but winning. And which is is it's a great phenomenal feeling. <laughs> that game seven win against Philly, and it's a it's a shot people will watch again and again forever. And I'm sure you don't have to go looking for it. It shows up on TV, or you might be watching. And it's fun to watch everybody else's reaction and you see you there under the basket and your arms go up. What do you remember about that moment and Kawhi going into the deep corner and watching the ball? And is that one of those slow motion moments? It's at the end of the series, everything's on the line and, and you're just, everyone in the building is just standing watching this thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're so caught up in the moment, right? Like you, you, you try to understand what the defense is going to do. Um, I didn't expect, um, Joel to just chase Kawhi, but he decided to chase him. Um, obviously, with with what's left on the floor was the right thing to do. Um, you, you, then you try to, um, you know, first I think it's a miss. That's my first reaction on short. Yeah. You know, it, it looks short. I think you, you take that shot hundred times, it, it just it, that bounce is, is short. But I think that the electricity from the place kind of pushed the ball in. <laughs> I think the, the way everybody just screamed, it just I don't know, it just. How much he puts a lot of spin on 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 his shot, so it was just crazy. I think just then he just went to find his spot at the end, gathered himself with you know left to right and and took it, and you know it just felt like five seconds or maybe more. Um, But um, you know it was it was phenomenal. You had just gotten to Toronto and you played there as a visitor, and you knew it became and probably even more so through your career as years went on, they became more successful. Just really rabid. Fan base, they love that team. Yeah, that celebration around not the title, but that moment, unlike anything you had experienced before. Yeah, for example, the, the parade it was over three and a half million people. Like that's a lot of people, uh, you know. And and and, and the energy—it was like six hours long. <laughs> it was it was unreal. I, I mean, we we had a great time, and just to be able to to share with them too, like you could see. Um, you know the the happiness and the excitement that they had that was it was great it's, it's it's a memory you know that I'll never never forget it was it was awesome and and just also you know you also go from the the smaller part the team you know you look at Kyle's eyes you know guy that's been there for um for many years and and finally wins it and and plays awesome in game 6 in a in a golden state you know you look at everybody every everybody has their own story but you know you you value the the amount of time that that we stayed together, and and you know when we were down, o two against against Milwaukee, and we kept our composure. We never panicked. Hey, let's go back home. Um, let's let's do what we're supposed to do. We can, you know, we are the better team. We can beat them, and that I think will, you know, that's that's what is important to me. And that when you win it, that's what uh the 
will made you happy. Like you, you know, it was worth it. it was, everything that you went through, um, it was for a big reason. To me, there's a lot of moments in those finals on both sides, the injuries, KD and Clay going down mm-hmm. and how you guys won it. But that podium moment, and I think Doris Burke goes to you, and looking back, I don't think it surprises anybody, but when you talk about the guys in Memphis and you talk about Mike Connolly and Tony Allen and, and Zach Randolph and that group, did it come to you in that moment? Had you imagined, if I ever win it, I want to acknowledge them? Or did that just, that's where your mind was in that moment? That, that's, that's who, you know, that's the guys that I always be, be, they have been next to me for my whole life. Uh, I went to Memphis before I got to Toronto two, three weeks ago. And uh, I went to Tony Allen's house and, uh, you know, I wanted to see him, how he was doing. And, and, and we kept talking about, you know, the finals and we were talking and, and it felt like we never, you know, left each other. Uh, it's the same thing with Zach is with Mike. You make that, those connections are so strong, um, that I remember them, you know, what would Mike do in this moment? Uh, like how, how would he talk to me if he was next to me right now? Uh, and, and how Zach would approach this, this issue? How, how would, Tony, um, you know, guard certain guy, like all, like they, they made me who I am. So to me, you know, them and, and a lot of coaches that I had in the past, like, you know, that's who make you as a player. You cannot think that it's only about you and, and the things that you've done. It's also the guys that help help you have helped you before become the guy and allow you to be the guy that you are in the NBA. And it's true in all pro sports. Like it's always this talk about chasing a championship. I want to go somewhere. I can win a title. And it's funny, I think, when guys think back in their careers, sometimes it feels like they may think less about that destination of winning Mm -hmm. and what they really, what becomes more important and stays with them were those relationships. And if you had never won a title, if you didn't go to Toronto and that didn't happen, Memphis, I, I just always felt with you that that those Memphis years, I don't know that you would trade them for anything. If I told you you would have gone to the Lakers and stayed there and won multiple titles, that, like you said, those Memphis, that team and that yeah. organization, that town, it, it it shaped who you were. No question. How impacted how we impacted the community of Memphis. You know how we brought people together. I think that that unique ability that sports have to bring people um, together. I think you know uh, the power that we had uh, as far as you know. Changing a community, bringing people together, going into, you know, schools and, and, and kids, you know, having their eyes and ears, um, wide open for you. You know, those things, uh, go a long way. And it's, and I think for the most part, obviously now you have a championship, you can say whatever, but you know, it's, it's just as important as, as winning a championship. And, uh, and, and I don't know if I would trade it. I don't know if, you know, I would trade, you know, a, a championship for those guys. I don't think I would. Manu Ginobili and, and some of the guys who played, um, who had long runs on their teams internationally. And, you know, Manu had the best of both worlds. He had the Spurs that were together forever and won titles and the Argentina team that won a gold medal and, and, and had great success. And he was identified with both of those. And you had that with Spain, a mm-hmm. group that was, I mean, I covered one group in 2008 in Beijing in the Olympics when the U.S. brought that was the redeem team. They brought Kobe and LeBron and Chris Paul. They brought them all. Yeah, Jay Kidd, Jay Dwayne, Kidd, right. Bosch, Dwight Howard, you know? <laughs> Deshaun Prince. They had a lot, of guys. and they brought all of them. And yeah. here we are. 
you guys go on this – I think you were down 17. You cut it to one. There's a timeout, like – and you could feel the pressure and you could see it. And those guys will talk about it. You had them on the ropes. Ricky Rubio was a teenager, got yeah. hurt in that game and went out and yeah. was playing really well. And yet here we are in 2019, Spain wins the World Cup – with some of the same guys. <laughs> I mean, that's a long time to play together. It's a long time. It's a long time. It's only, it's three guys left from that team. Um, and, and if you can count Powell, three and a half, because he, <laughs> because Powell was with us this summer, but he was not present. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just the commitment that we have to the national team. Um, it's, it's, it's been, uh, remarkable. And, and, and that's, and I thought this summer, especially, was a big responsibility for me to be there. And, uh, because you can talk about the, the, the commitment and, and, you know, the guy, what all the guys should be doing. You gotta, you know, you gotta walk the talk sometimes. And well, I think all the time, but I had to show the, you know, some of the guys that are, they're younger, that they're going to be taking care of the team for many years to come. Hey, when, when being in the national team is not practical, it's, it's not what feeds you the best. In, in a contract year, or it's not, you know, it's not only to work on your game. It's not only to showcase the things that you've done, um, you know, June and July that, hey, man, I can shoot threes now or I can handle the ball. No, 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 no. This is about team ball. This is about winning and, and sacrificing some of your time, you know, for the greater good. Your Spanish team, really for most of the U.S.'s, more guys kind of come and go on the U.S. team, but they had Carmelo for a very long time and LeBron played and you competed against them in lots of situations through the years. But your team was really their biggest rival for a very long time and just always sense that you and Pau and um, Calderon, Ricky Rubio, um, it's almost like a second professional career, hmm. isn't it really? Um, it's, it's different feeling. It's a different feeling because we come together voluntarily. Like it's entirely voluntary. Like you, you can go there or you cannot, right? And, um, and we all decide to go every year, which is sort of crazy. And Serge Ibaka, we had Serge play. Yeah, we had Serge on, uh, the, the thing was at 2011, 12. Yeah. That's when uh, Serge came, yep. and uh, it was awesome. And and that that year they had KD too, and they had Anthony Davis, and you know young Anthony Davis, and they had some new players that they were adding like superstars like James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Uh, so it was you know we came short too. We came like I think we lost by eight or so at the end. Um, but yeah, we it, it's been it's been good. I think we you know hopefully hopefully next year we'll get them. <laughs> It'd be great to to Tokyo twenty twenty. You know, uh, so many years later, finally get him in a in a in a gold medal round. And you said it like guys, FIBA is a different game, mm -hmm. and guys who people look at one way in the NBA, they play. It's like they they don't dominate over there the way maybe they think they're going to. Yeah, and guys who there are great FIBA players who the NBA is just a different game. Yeah. But like watching, what did you think this year watching? Scola, I mean, he looked like it was he had he was in a time machine. Yeah, in he looked yeah he looked like like the one in uh, you know that that year he had amazing year in in Houston or or the years in Victoria before that. Um, Luis looked looked amazing and uh, and and their their whole team it was just such heart. Uh, it, it was it was beautiful to watch the way they played in the quarterfinals the way they played in the semifinals and even before that you know just just how much passion they put into the game how much they work defensively they i never seen a, a team work defensively like they work 
the whole floor. Like they were pressuring us. They were playing and, and, and they, they came up short, uh, obviously against us because we, we were able to shut them down as well. Um, but Argentina and Luis especially were, uh, outstanding. Mark, one thing I wanted to ask you about, and you did this in the summer of 2018. Mm-hmm. You went on a rescue mission yeah. in the Mediterranean and, and migration has been a big part of what is going on in this world. It's going to be a bigger part going forward from whether it's people fleeing violence, whether it's going to be climate change. This is an issue that's going to be on the forefront. What sent you into, you know, in the middle of your off season into the ocean? Mm-hmm. And what were you going to see two years ago when you did that? So I, I met the founder of uh, of Open Arms, Oscar Camps. I met him in the summer of 2017, I think, or yeah, he came to my camp and, and we're, you know, I, because I was following what they were doing. I don't know if you remember a, a very tough picture of a, a three-year-old um, yes. Syrian kid um, laying down on, on a beach in, a, in I think it was Lesbos. Yes. Um, it was obviously um, very hard to see. That, I think that was 2015. A year before, I had my, my daughter, Julia. And just to make me, you know, I, I try to understand everything. I try to, you know, look at it from all angles. I try to, you know, see how could something you know like that happen right and then when i read more about the story his mom and two other siblings died also on that uh on that trip um but you know that picture that image obviously impacted you know millions and millions of of people right so open arms how it started they they saw the same image and they just you know grabbed their bag their lifeguards from barcelona and they just went on and like we gotta get people out of the water so you know that that really motivated me like people that that see a problem and and they don't wait for somebody to solve it they just hey i'm I'm here i'm i'm ready to go so i talked to oscar and like look this summer it was 17 i think we had the european championship in turkey so that i told him like look this summer i cannot join you but i will love next year 2018 i think it was the first year that we, we have a national team duty right so i'm like Next summer, I'm, I know I'm off, so I would love to be in, on, on a mission with you guys. So decided to to go there and uh, be and, and be a volunteer. And I think uh, try you try to prepare yourself for what you might see uh, and what you might might encounter. And and obviously basketball is a you know it's it's you, know, you tend bottle feelings and, uh, and but over there like what you're gonna see it's it's, it's real life stuff and. Um, and, and what I was surprised to see it was two things. First, it's how other humans are treated. Mm-hmm. That 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 to me was uh, shocking. That uh, that a five year old boy uh, around five can be left um, on a rubber boat, sl- completely slashed, um, and how a woman, uh, Josephine, was left alive in that boat in the middle of the night with no chance of surviving. Mm-hmm. Um, so. That made me think, like, how how can another human being treat another human being like that? And 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 what can what can go through mind? It's to me, it's uneducation. It's number one. Uh, they don't understand, comprehend, fear, whatever it might be. But that cannot happen, right? And then also set an example for the next generations. That that to me, you know, what we were talking about before about when you have kids' attention, you got to use it, you know, the way you want to use it. So to me. As we know, migrations are going to happen um, 
in Europe, in in the U.S., in in Asia, like because the world is changing, uh, you know. So, how we deal with this issue is going to set a standard for the next thirty, forty years because kids are watching, and uh, and they're learning and they becoming you know young adults and and adults later on. So. To see uh, them differently, just because we feel more empowered, because just we we're lucky enough to be born on a on a different side of the world. Right. To me, it's unfair. So you know, if, if you're lucky to have more and, and have more opportunities, whatever it is, you don't have to always give money, your time, um, food, whatever you can to to help someone else. You you should do it. So that's kind of why why I did it uh, you know first was the immediate impact that it had to me um, personally then because I had kids uh, and then you know try to impact other lives too and you had to to go out in the water for that extended period you, you had to tr- train condition your body you had to, you don't just get in the boat and go right well I, I, I'm I actually I'm, I really like uh, the water I you know yeah. uh, but I never I think we were in there for like nine, ten days. Yeah. Um, and we, I think we had a couple of colleagues of yours um, from ESPN yep. too. And, uh, and, and they felt it. They felt <laughs> it. They felt it, especially going back. Um, you know, it was tough. It was tough. The, the, the way back was really tough. And I'm explaining why. And it's, it's, I don't know if it's for all the audience, but, um, to know that on the other boat we had um, two cadavers and, uh, and 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 the process of that, yeah. you know, after a few days, uh, it's it's brutal. Um, so, you know, on one hand you have Josephine that you just saved her life, and, and you know that she's going to be okay, and then you see all the politics that surround that, uh, and and you know how people want to okay, I'm, we want to help, we don't want to help, we cannot help, you know. Then we ha- we have a Spanish flag, so we got to go all the way back across Mediterranean from Libya, all the way back to Spain. And, and it's just all those emotions and how the crew was able to, you know, protect one another. It's like maybe 30 people, the whole crew and how, you know, they were looking out for me. I'm like, you, you, you know, and, and, and how they protected me, you know, but not me because I'm Mark Saul. It's just me because I'm part of the crew. You yeah. know, I'm a volunteer. And, and it was awesome to see that, you know, around and, and from different nations. Like I was, you know, we had two Italians. They didn't speak Spanish. I don't speak Italian. They don't speak English. So I don't know how we're going to talk, but, you know, you just could feel it. It was raw emotions and, uh, and it was so much purity into helping someone else. And everybody, you know, had the same goal in mind. Mark, uh, we could always go on. I, I appreciate you always taking the time to visit. You got a little more downtime here. Another regular season's coming. You got your ring night yeah. in Toronto. But uh, I, I will see you soon, and I appreciate it, Mark. Thank you. No problem. Anytime. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest, Raptors center Mark Gasol. Be sure to subscribe and listen to The Low Post with Zach Lowe, Brian Windhurst, and The Hoop Collective. And subscribe and listen to the Woj Pod. You can find new and archived episodes wherever you listen to your podcast. Season's almost here. We'll catch you soon.